Welcome to the Kingdom Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jamie Dixon. For more great content, visit klcmaine.com. If you guys have your Bibles, go with me to John chapter 4. I'm going to be really quick. I'm going to warn you now. I'm going to come off as really rude. The moment that, that strikes 1230, I got to go. I, ha- I have a, a, a dance recital for two special little girls in my life. And uh, I have a Christmas recital to get to. So I'm going to get off the stage, put on my coat, I'm going to wave goodbye, and I'm out of here. Is that all right? Yes. All right. I love you guys, but those girls need me at their dance recital. So, um, all right. John chapter 4. We are closing out our Radical Generosity series. And um, I'm going to be really fast, just bring everybody up to date. Um, we laid out this idea of radical generosity. The greatest example of generosity was that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. John 3, 16. It was the love of the Father that gave his son as a poured out offering for you and I that we would have eternal life. It was the, the highway of radical generosity. The father gave his son to you and I that Jesus would come and he would carry resurrection life in his wings. And so we know that the ultimate definition of revival is Jesus. When he walks in the room, dead things come alive. Amen. And it was, it was radical generosity that brought him. It was radical generosity that put him on the cross. And it was radical generosity that, that caused him to be raised again and that we would be given a born again experience. And so uh, we, we've, uh, the language I've been using over the past few weeks is that um, revival is the house that generosity builds. And um, that there's a foundation, that radical generosity. And Jesus said, now you pick up your cross and follow me daily. That we have a call to do the Jesus thing. Because he rode on the highway of generosity and he will continue to ride the highway of generosity. Amen? And, uh, and that when we, when we pour out our lives and when we pour out our hearts and when we pour out that which is valuable to us at the feet of Jesus, it creates a highway for revival to come in. And, uh, and so revival is the house that generosity builds. But then I presented, and there's three behavioral pillars that hold up the house of revival. There are, there are three pillars. There's three behaviors that I want to hit on. This is what generosity looks like. Generosity looks like sacrifice, uh, that we get to join with Jesus and break our hearts with him, that we get to sacrificially lay down our lives for the purpose of the, the kingdom, that it, it is built on, uh, on, gener- uh, on radical sacrifice. Um, and then faith, and that we give in faith knowing that he will actually do something with the seed that is sown. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. How many of you guys want to see supernatural provision in a miraculous work in the area of resource, finances, and, and, uh, and breakthrough power in your family? Well, radical faith it looks like sacrificial giving, and it will create a realm of miracles that we live from. Amen? And lastly was the pillar of worship. And we're going to end the whole series on worship. Is that all right? So go with me to John chapter 4. And we have a scene. I'm going to lay it out for the sake of time. We have a Samaritan woman at a well. Jesus come and says, hey, draw from me water from this well. And she goes, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. This is unlawful that you're interacting with me. Uh, this is not a legal interaction. And in verse... Um, 
you know, uh, he's, he's drawing, asking for water. And in verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks the water from this well will thirst again, but, whoever, uh, but him who will, uh, oh, but whoever drinks of the water that I give will never thirst. And the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up from everlasting life. And the woman said, sir, would you give me some of that water so I may never thirst again? And then Jesus said to her, go and call your husband. And she said, "Um, well, sir, I have no husband. And she said to her, that's right, you don't have a husband. uh, For you've had five husbands and the one whom you're with now is not your husband. And the woman said, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. I I love this interaction. Does anybody get this kind of snarky, sarcastic thing about this woman? You know, she's like, okay, so you're prophetic. I see that. And then, uh, so she says, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet and our fathers worship on this mountain and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the only place where you can worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the father for you worship what you do not know. Everyone say, do not know. <laughs> you worship what you do not know. We worship uh, what we know what we worship for salvation of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father is seeking such to worship him for God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, in this passage, there's a couple uh, very important things that are said. One of the most important first things that are said is, Jesus says to her, you worship what you do not know. This is, this is uh, when you're doing Bible study, right? And you're breaking down uh, storytelling and narrative, and you're trying to find the purpose and the context of the meaning. What Jesus presents is the problem. The problem is, is that you worship what you do not know. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is presenting that you do not understand what you worship and you are not able to see what you worship. Jesus presents the problem of proximity. And he goes, you're worshiping a shadow because you're told to, but you don't know what you worship. You don't see what you worship. You, you worship out of religious obligation because you're told to. And Jesus presents a problem. And then he says this, but the hour is coming. Next important thing where he says, there's something coming. Now, at the moment, she doesn't know what that means, but you and I now know what that means because the hour has come. He says, the hour is coming. There's a day coming. What Jesus is saying is, is that the covenant between God and man is about to be entirely rewritten. So it's going to be about Jerusalem. It's not going to be about uh, uh, this mountain or that mountain, but there's a day coming and I will become the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. And my blood will actually purge the sins of Jew and Gentile. And he, and he presents this idea of, and the spirit of God will come upon my dead body that I lay down for you and I will be born again and will give you access to the born again life. And you, you will, uh, and, and, he, and he presents this idea of, and the Holy Spirit who is on my life will now go and seek a home where he can dwell. And the same spirit that raised from me from the dead will now rest in you and you will become a dwelling place. And the veil that separates priests from my presence will be torn and I will dwell inside of you and there will be no more separation and you will know the father and the father will know you and you will become a resting place. 
And Jesus, she doesn't know that he's saying that, but you and I know that's the day he's speaking of. He says there's a Holy Spirit coming and he will actually deal with this proximity issue. And you will actually know who you worship and you will actually worship where he is and you will understand and see the Father. How many of you guys know that's good news? Jesus uh, it says that we're going to deal with this proximity issue. And he says, for, for there's a day coming where you will worship in spirit and in truth. Both of these things deal with the proximity issue. You will actually be where he is, not on a mountain, not worshiping a shadow, not distantly hoping that this worship is landing somewhere, not because I'm told to, but you will actually do this because you see him, you know him, you understand him, and you will worship in the spirit and from understanding. Worship, we have to understand is that worship is a reflective action. We don't worship to see God, we worship because we see God. It's a response to what we see. We don't worship a shadow until it's no longer a shadow. We worship a man, a God who became man, dwelled among us, tore the veil and made a way for the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you and for you to know him for eternity. The veil has been torn. We don't worship what we do not see. We worship what we see. And this is where Jesus said the day is coming that, that God's seeking those that will worship in spirit and in truth for those who are in the spirit worship from truth. And so we understand that worship is a reflective act. It begins with seeing and perceiving and we respond with worship. Now go with me to Revelation chapter four. Revelation chapter four. In verse one, you guys all right? All right. It's in Revelation chapter four, verse one. It says, and after these things, I looked and behold, there's a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me saying, come up here and I will show you things which will take place after this. We have John the beloved who's in a prophetic experience. And John looks, he saw a door standing open in heaven. And I need us to all understand something that that doorway was opened by the blood of the lamb. That door was opened by the blood of Jesus. And I'll, I'll go a step further. That door wasn't just open. It was ripped, ripped off the hinges and will never be closed again. There's a door standing open in heaven. Jesus has made a way. He's ripped the door off the hinges. That door will never close. The blood of Jesus has purchased access into eternity. He's become the doorway. He goes, I see a door standing open in heaven and a voice like a trumpet, which, which I love. How many of you guys know a trumpet? Any military guys? Trumpet is, is a, an assertive call to action. Stand on your feet. It, it's, it's an invitation, right? Right? Travis, thank you, sir. And it says immediately, instantly, I was in the spirit. And behold, there's a throne in heaven. And one sat on the throne and he who sat there was like a, was like a jasper and sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in the appearance like an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the throne sat 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their head. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices and seven lamps of fire that were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. In the midst of the throne, there were four living creatures, which gets weird. Let me, let me stop there for a second. 
I want you to imagine this scene, right? John has gone through the open door through Jesus. He's now in the realm of the spirit and he sees his whole scene is set and there's a throne and there's, there's elders sitting on thrones and there's, there's, there's creatures that we'll get into in a second, but he says there's lightnings and thunderings and there's colors and rainbows and emeralds and jewels and there's lights and, and he goes, and, and all of that's happening and like, and like a sea of glass is laid before him. I want you to, to fully get the picture here because if there's a sea of glass, what, how many of you know there's a reflection off the glass? And if you were in a room of glass, glass wouldn't absorb sound, it would reflect sound. And so you see this like scene of the glory and the majesty of Jesus set up in the, in the third heaven, but it's actually created in a room that's meant to reflect his glory. And so the sounds are not only the sounds of worship, but it's the sound of a thousand generations reflecting off the walls of eternity. They don't absorb, they just keep echoing off the walls of eternity. And there's lightnings and thunders and there's, uh, there, there's, there's rainbows and lights and fires that are burning and they're not just burning, they're reflecting off a sea of glass with colors and sounds. And then the thunderings is a sound that's mixing with the sound of a thousand generations. You know, there's, a, there's another pastor where he goes, and I, I heard it was the sound of like many waters. You guys know the dude wasn't hearing a little trickle. Oh, look, it's a nice calming fountain. No, no, no. It was a, have you, have you guys ever been in the ocean, like around the ocean, and the waves are so loud that you're like next to each other, but you have to, you have to yell. Has anybody ever heard? You can't whisper on the beach. Why? Because the sound of the echoing of waves. Now put that in a glass room. And add in the sound of a thousand generations worshiping the beauty of Jesus. The generations before you and the generations that will come after you. All worshiping in one eternal space. And the thunder is mixing with the sound of, of nations and generations in every language. And the voice of many waters is crashing in the room. And it's so deafening that you're overwhelmed by it. And the, and the lights and the thunderings are reflecting off the walls of eternity. This is what John is seeing in the spirit. Come on. Yeah. And it says, and there was these, these living creatures. It's like a lion. Uh, uh, the first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature like a face of a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. Now, you go like, well, that's weird. Well, the creatures were created for gazing on the beauty of Jesus, surrounded from eyes, not only on them, but in them for internal visitation, external visitation. The four living creatures were created to behold the glory of the Lord. And at no moment were their eyes ever come off him. Their entire existence is for beholding. And, and it, it's not, I mean, it's not just going to take a couple eyes. It's going to take the entire being was created for reflection. And the four living creatures with eyes all around and within, they do not rest day or night. This is not just a moment. Day or night they shout, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now, why are they yelling this? Because they have eyes and they can see his beauty and they shout what they see. 
And then what happens? The four living creatures go, or I'm sorry, the 24 elders go, ah! This is the sound of heaven. And the creatures give glory and honor and thanks who sits on the throne, who lives forever. The 24 elders fall down before him. This is happening over and over and over. They fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship uh, the one who lives forever and they cast their crowns at his feet saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor for you create all things and by your will they exist or were created. This is the image. The eyes are calling out. This is what I see. The 24 hours go, ah, you're right. He's holy. They take their crowns, any image of splendor or glory or strength they have, and they cast it at his feet. And they probably gather themselves again until the four living creatures go, he's holy. And they go, ah, and they cast it again. Over and over and over, an endless procession of glory and praise. Why? Because worship is an act of, of reflection. It's a response. I see him. And so I worship. I see him. So I worship. Over and over again. I want you to imagine, there's these, if you've ever watched our team or myself in worship, there's these moments. I'm not trying to be rude. I just I want to explain something to you. These moments where we're just going along, you know, and worship is just good. It's fine. We're worshiping. Sometimes our favorite song goes, ah, oh, we like this one, you know, and we're, we're, we're just going. But then all of a sudden, I feel like, man, we need to go higher. We need to, we need to get out of this room for a second. We need to get, we need to get, go through the open door. We need to go higher. I want to encounter the beauty of Jesus right now. So one of the things I'll do is I'll come up and I go, everyone, eyes closed, hands raised, engage him right now. And I'll say, I want you to look into the heavens. I want you to see his beauty. And I want you to start singing what you see. Why do I say that? Because worshiping in spirit and in truth is a response to what you see. And sometimes we're just singing because the room around us is singing. But we're not actually gazing on the beauty of Jesus. And this is what was purchased for us to see. The door was open in heaven and there's a voice saying, come up here, come up now. And so I'll say, start singing. And you guys will feel all of a sudden the room goes. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, what is that? Right? That's the presence of God. That's what people were feeling on live streams. There's a whole room just all of a sudden begin to think of eternity and, and thought, ah, Benji's running. Ah, thunders and lightnings. He's seeing what we long to see. Ah, and people on the live stream are like, what am I, hap- what's happening? Right, why? Be- because this is what worship is and this is what we've been called to do is to actually worship from a place of response. Are we all right? This, and the, the crazy thing is, Dustin, are you Okay. Spirit's got him. Some water right next to you. Um, in, in Revelation chapter four, um, I want you to imagine like this scene. This is where you are. This is not just a place you go to. This is where you are. It says that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. This is a reality. 
that this is what Jesus purchased, that you'd worship in the spirit. Revelation chapter four, from fully understanding, seeing, gazing, internally knowing that he is worthy of everything, that my, my crown would be cast down. This is what we were created for. This is what, this is what worship is, is a reflective part of our life. Now go with me to John chapter 12. I want to connect this to generosity. In John chapter 12, it's in verse one, it says, so six days before the Passover, Jesus came to a city called Bethany where Lazarus, who had been dead, who was raised from the dead, um, uh, there they made him a supper and Martha was serving and Lazarus was sitting at the table. Okay, imagine the scene. Mary is there, the disciples are there, Martha's in the kitchen cooking. Lazarus is sitting at the table, yakking it up with the disciples. And they're all, they're chit-chatting back and forth, and Peter's like, what did you see when you were dead? (laughs) Right? And the disciples are like, oh, man, last week was crazy. Did those people like try to kill you too? That was crazy. And they're like going back and forth, and they're talking, and the room is going on, and Martha's like, be right out with the popovers, you know, and like all this stuff is going on and everyone's talking past the peanuts, you know, it's going on. And here's Mary. Everyone's talking. Mary's like, the last time that man was in this city, my brother was dead. Lazarus was dead. And he's sitting at the table like nothing happened. And she's sitting there going, the son of God is sitting at my table right now. She's thinking, Martha, who cares about the popovers? (laughs) Jesus is at the table. He's the son of God. Why are you guys talking about whatever the flip Lazarus saw while he was dead for three days? Jesus is at the table. And Mary starts to think, What's the most valuable thing that I have? The king of kings sitting at my table. What can I go get right now? What do I have? Everyone's talking. Mary's locked in. She knows what other people, there are disciples in that room that aren't even sure that he's the son of God. Mary's fully convinced. The son of God's here. He's sitting at my table. I might not never get another minute with him again. I don't know what's gonna happen, but he's at the table. Lazarus is alive. Why are we talking? It says that, so Mary took a pound of very costly oil, spikenard. She began to anoint the feet of Jesus. And I just, I just wish like more would be given to the story. Because it's just like, they're there hanging out. Oh, Lazarus is dead. He's at the table. She starts to anoint his feet. No, that's not the scene. The scene is, is that they're there hanging out and talking and Mary cuts the noise and she begins to pour out costly oil, maybe the most valuable thing to her name. She goes through the house, she finds her oil and she busts in the room, just pouring at his feet, gets down on her hands and knees and starts taking the next most precious thing that she has, her very costly, glorious hair. And she pulls it out and she starts sopping up oil off of his feet and tears are running. She's now lost her oil, 
She's lost her, her probably her, her well-being. She's lost her dignity. She, she has lost her, uh, her, her reputation. And she's at the feet of Jesus going, he's the son of God. And she's crying and just sopping oil off his feet and her hair. And she's an absolute mess. And everyone's watching. Why? Because Mary was in the spirit and she began to understand something. And she had the right response. Everybody else was treating it like, oh, this is cool. Mary had the right response. And then you get Judas comes in and goes, what a waste. We could have used that for the need in the community. We could have taken all that money. We know he's a thief. But Jesus said, be quiet. She's chosen the right ministry. For the needy you'll have always but you won't always have me. She's chosen the right ministry. And in that moment, Jesus is saying, she poured it out in the right place. She's worshiping me. This is, this is what worship is. It's, it's understanding and realizing the worth of Jesus and pouring out the most costly thing at his feet. There's a reason why, like... I'm not a charismatic because I grew up charismatic. It's just the only place I can find people that just worship right. I'm sorry. I'm not just saying that theologically or like, oh, we got better. No, I'm just saying like, yeah, loud in banners and shofars and dancing on chairs. I feel like when I look into heaven, it's one of the right responses. There's a place for quiet contemplation. I'm just, stop. Cut it from the live stream. All I'm saying is, he's so much more worthy to lose my dignity, to pour out joy. Man, if you don't have like oil, all your hair is like this, like Mary. Just after sopping up oil, you did it wrong, you know? Worship is a response to the worth of Jesus and the Holy Spirit purchased way for you to see him rightly. I, re- I repent for... Like. The thing is, is that human, human reasoning would try to move her generosity in a different direction but Je- and they try to rebuke her, but Jesus rebuked the, the human reasoning. Jesus rebukes human reasoning. He rebukes the flesh in the room and he says, she's done something eternal and significant. She's chosen the best thing. Second Corinthians 9, 7 says, let each one give as he purposes his heart, not grudgingly or necessity for God loves a cheerful giver. And this is, this is bigger than just like, a, so let's bring our offerings. It says, let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not necessity or begrudgingly, but God loves a cheerful giver. And, and, and what that means is, is that, Thank you. I have a recital to get to. Okay. We're going to land this plane. Here's, I got some girls waiting for me. Um, let each one give the purposes in his heart. There's a story in Exodus 36. God anoints these artists. And when he anoints these artists, he, he anoints them to, to, to build a house for the Lord. And it's, and it's like, God's so worthy, such a beautiful house. Bring the gold and bring the jewelry and bring the silver. And they go, we don't have any in, the, in our storehouse. So let's invite the community to come and give to it. And, and, uh, and so Moses goes, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Great idea. Go tell them what we have need. And so people just generously go, yeah, 
They start bringing gold and silver and their jewelry and their necklaces and they're bringing it to the house of the Lord. And then they go, hey, I think we got enough. Like, I think we're, we're going to fulfill our, our blueprints. And so Moses then says, that's fantastic. Why don't you make a notice telling everyone that we fulfilled the quota? They do that. The next day, people show up to give more. And they go, oh, you, you didn't get the, the news? We have enough. And, and so people kept coming. And, and, and so Moses says, no, tell a command. Stop bringing your treasure. And the next day, people come up. And they have more to give. And lines of, and hordes of people are still giving. Like, have you not heard? He literally sends out people to restrain the people. Could you imagine, like, the restraining is like, it's Black Friday, and people are trying to break through the doors, but instead of, like, trying to get something, they're trying to throw it. No, please, take my gold. Take my silver. Take it all. How many of us know that we have crossed like worship as a need, giving as a need, and we now have a people that are possessed by the worth of God. And they're saying, no, 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 he's worthy of everything. You don't, you, I haven't given enough. I have to give him more. Listen, friends, I want to move past the need. I want to be a church that doesn't, I don't need a fast song and a slow song. I don't need it to sound good. I don't need the speakers to be good. I don't, I don't need the, the room to get excited to get me going. I want to be a people that makes the worship team feel awkward because I'm so in the place to see the beauty of Jesus that I'm louder than, than what they're doing. And are you hearing me? This isn't like a, come on, let's get their favorite jam going so we can get the room all amped up. Man, that's, that's bogus. I want to be a church that like, we're ready to, to like restrain me. I haven't given enough. But man, that our offering to the Lord, our worship would be an unrestrained outpouring. The father spared nothing when he gave his son. And, and this is what generosity is. What do I have of worth to give him? What do I have of worth to give him? It's not just musical worship. It's every day. What do I have of worth to give him? We're, we're as human beings, we're motivated like Judas to, be, to give out of need. I don't want to give out of need. I want to give because of his worth. You know, it's, I think that we've made it normal that in tithes and offerings, we, go, we have a need. We have a need. Man, that's, that's the cheap way to give an offering. Because anybody will give for a need. But the church is supposed to give because of his worth. It's supposed to give because it's worship. Because I actually have come to the place where I believe I have nothing, all of it's his. So there's no hindrance of what I won't give him. I'll, I'll give him my time. I'll give him my life. I'll give him my children. I'll give him my family. I'll give him everything. He's worth everything. He's so worthy. I want to go through the open door and see his worth until I'm ready to give it all. Come on, why don't you guys stand with me?